Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. We've got a fascinating episode today talking about tropical storms and hurricanes, uh, both how they can impact the citrus industry and ways for growers to prepare for them and recover afterwards. Some good tips here coming up. But as always, we'll first join Dr. Rogers, UF IFAS um, Citrus Research and Education Center Director. Uh, Dr. Rogers, thanks for joining me. Uh, Citrus Expo has just wrapped up. I heard it was successful. However, you were unable to attend, correct? Uh, yes. Um, I know, Taylor, there was a number of people who couldn't attend because of COVID, and I fell into that category. Um, we've been uh, had COVID go through our household and um, you know, despite being vaccinated, it's, it's not that bad, but but still, um, it, it kept me from attending in person, as well as some of our other folks um, from IPAS who weren't able to attend as well. So it, we heard that it went well, and uh, uh, people were able to go to the booths and interact with researchers. That's all good news. But you guys had a pretty interactive booth this year, and uh, a lot of stuff that's being transferred online that if growers weren't able to see it at the event can check it out later. Yes, Taylor. Um, and so what we did this year with our booth, um, you know, Jamie Burrow talked a lot about this during the last month's podcast, uh, at the end of the podcast, talking about some of the new materials, new publications we put out. And the, the whole goal of the booth this year was to really simplify the information because, you know, a lot of us as researchers, we tend to put up posters that are very scientific. And, you know, maybe the message gets lost in the details on those posters. And you know, I've had many people tell me, hey, I just want the bottom line. What do I need to know on this? And, you know, what all does this mean? And, and it's, it's tough to decipher it sometimes. And so what we did this year in the booth is we made our posters in different formats, trying to minimize the, let's say, the noise or the clutter on those posters uh, to hopefully get the point across. What, what's, what's important for the grower to know and do now? And so um, that was what we did with the posters. So we also put together uh, three different publications that were available, things we've not done before, um, to cover information that didn't go on the posters. So, for example, a lot of growers are very interested in the research that we're doing right now that's not ready for prime time, but they, they want to know what's coming in the future. So one of the publications was a book um, that, that lists about 50 different research projects going on by IPIS researchers. And it's just to get, it's, it's summaries of the research, trying to give people updates on what we're doing and where we're headed. Um, not necessarily stuff that growers can use right now, but just know, to know what's coming in the future and, and know that IFAS is working hard and making progress. Now, the next thing is a booklet uh, you can pick up were the posters, the actual posters that were hanging in the booth. Um, we put that into a booklet format as well, so people could pick up the, the poster book and take it with them and review the stuff later if they didn't want to hang around the booth too long um, or if you want to refresh your memory later. And then the third, we had a, a new citrus varieties booklet we put together, just providing very um, key points about the, the different citrus varieties that have been developed at UF IFAS. We've not had a book like this done in quite a while, and we're going to continue to improve on this. But, but we had that um, in the booth as well for people to pick up. And Taylor, as you mentioned, all of this now can be found online. Um, if you go to our website, citrusresearch.ifas.ufl, .edu, um, you will be able to download and, and view all of this information, all the posters. You can download the research summary book, 
Um, we've also got some short videos posted um, on the, at the site as well, uh, where we have some people talking about topics of interest, things like fruit drop, um, things you can do now to, to deal with fruit drop, for example. And, and the one last publication I failed to mention uh, was the 2021-2022 Florida Citrus Production Guide. Um, it's out and available. And if you weren't at Expo and have a chance to get your hands on one, you can get it online right now until you get your hard copy. And so it's also on our website. That website, again, citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu. I wasn't going to let you forget about the Citrus Production Guide because I know a lot of growers have been very interested uh, in getting the newest version of that. And Citrus Expo is the event to do that. Let's talk a little bit more about events here. COVID seems like it's impacting some stuff a little bit more as we move along the summer here and into the fall. Uh, you guys have some events on the books and it looks like one of them is going to be transferred to virtual. Is that correct? Yes. Um, as far as some of the citrus events, um, I know there's been some things canceled, uh, but the next upcoming event was Citrus Packing House Day on August 26th. Uh, that was going to be held at the CREC in Lake Alfred. There was a lot of concern uh, about some of the organizers and, and folks about people not being able to show up due to health reasons. So we have shifted that event um, online. So it's going to be a virtual meeting uh, this year. Uh, we didn't want to cancel it. So um, we hate to do that. But um, right now, if you look at there's a model from the UF uh, Emerging's Pathogens Institute, uh, and they're showing that this 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 current COVID surge, you know, is going to peak in the next two weeks here in Florida, and and then it's going to start. Hopefully, should be declining uh, to pretty low levels by October. That's what they're predicting, and so we didn't think holding a meeting during the peak when things are at their worst was was really going to be a good idea, and uh, so that is shifting online. Look for information coming out about how to register for that and access that that meeting again citrus packing house day on august 26th virtually and in the future as as we do have some meetings that may be taking place on uf property or um if, if you happen to be visiting a research and education center or a county office um right now the university is is expecting that we're wearing masks indoors for now um so please be mindful that if you're visiting or you're attending one of our meetings on uf property that that, that we are expecting masks right now and hopefully it won't last too much longer but we're just trying to do what we can to keep everybody healthy and working so everybody can get back to work uh, as, as quickly as possible. Hey, you guys are here to help the industry, not possibly get in the, into the position of uh, making people sick. So uh, better safe than sorry is what you guys are doing. And I know virtually isn't the uh, most ideal situation, but it's better to have that than nothing at all. So that is nice to hear because it will have everybody keep an eye out for information on the virtual aspect of that event. Now, you guys uh, were able to add someone to the team just recently too, correct? Yes. Uh, in July, uh, we had a new... Um, IFAS State Specialized Agent in Food Safety that began work. Um, her name is Taylor Langford O'Bannon. Uh, she's a Florida native um, for, for further north in the state of Florida, but uh, she is now working uh, with us in food safety. She's taken the position that was previously held by Travis Chapin, uh, who some of you all know. And so Taylor, uh, she is located at the CREC in Lake Alfred, uh, working as part of our food safety team. Uh, I know folks also know people like uh, Dr. Michelle Daniluk, who's also uh, in Lake Alfred. And so Taylor will be working with them uh, on programs like uh, some of the required uh, FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act trainings, and other food safety trainings that are required around the state. And so uh, so don't be surprised if you'll see, you'll see a new face out there this year. And then welcome Taylor to uh, working with us around the state as we help improve food safety. 
And she's in good hands down there with Michelle Daniluk, too. So that's good to hear. Absolutely. As always, uh, Dr. Michael Rogers, thank you for the update. We appreciate it, and uh, we hope you feel better. All right. Thank you, Taylor. We're now joined by multi-county citrus extension agent, Asia Paolillo. Asia, we have not had a chance to talk since you joined. How's everything going? Everything's going great, Taylor. Thank you so much for having me on today. I know, I know UF IFAS, I've talked to um, several people there and they're very excited to have you on board and everything seems to be going well. Today we're talking about something that I don't think we talk about often enough and I think um, it's very important and that's hurricane preparation and recovery. We're, We're in the middle of hurricane season, right? When is hurricane season? Yes, we are in the middle of it. So of course, hurricane season starts on June 1st and ends on November 30th. Um, And historically, we have a more active point in the season that's going to go from August through October, and it usually peaks in September. Now, you guys get a mid-season report, and um, you kind of judge what's coming up and and what might have passed and if things are getting worse or not. But that mid-season report does have some predictions in it, right? It does, yes. And so this mid-season report, um, which came out on August 4th, it's an update from NOAA, which is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Um, So basically, their update has increased the number of named storms um, to 15 to 21 storms for the season. Um, And of those, 7 to 10 of them are predicted to become hurricanes, which are winds of 74 miles per hour and and greater. And then of those, three to five of them could um, be a category three, four, or five with winds starting at 111 miles per hour and then going into excess of 155 miles per hour if you're dealing with a, a category five. So definitely some storms that could cause some damage. Let's talk about concerns for this for a citrus grower. What are the major concerns that growers should be worried about if these storms do come over? So, of course, number one is going to be personal safety, right? Um, We're going to be worried about ourselves, our families, our employees uh, that you have working there in the grove, um, just to make sure that everybody is is in a safe place and has what they need to be uh, taken care of before, during, and after that storm. Uh, We're definitely going to be concerned about flooding and water damage to our trees. Uh, Wind damage, of course, to the trees and the fruit that could be potentially hanging on the trees there. Um, And that's going to be determined really uh, between the tropical storm force winds versus hurricane force winds. Because as we know, as the the categories get higher, the winds are are stronger, and that's going to determine that that wind damage to the trees and the fruit. And we're also, of course, worried about the equipment and structural damage to the assets that are there at the grove. Let's talk about, since we're in the middle of the season, let's talk about more immediate things that growers can do. What what can growers do coming up to the beginning of one of these events, um, coming over their their groves? What's something that they can do immediately that that isn't in, in preparation for this? When you're thinking about leading up to the hurricane, so like you said, the start of the season, we're in the season right now, um, you're going to want to stock up on supplies first and foremost, right? We all know that inventories, they run low once the storm is approaching. Um, So you're going to want to look for spare parts for your equipment, for your irrigation system, any spare parts that you think you're going to need essentially after a storm has passed. Uh, That's going to also include fuel 
for your pumps, uh, for your equipment, any drinking water, because we don't know what the water situation is like after a storm. And if you're out in the grove, you want to be able to have water to keep hydrated. And also maybe any kind of plywood. Of course, we know plywood is in short supply when a storm is approaching. Um, definitely know what you're going to need to keep your grove running for at least two weeks. That way you have enough supplies that you don't get caught um, not being able to do what you need to because of your lack of material. Um, definitely keep up with like your equipment maintenance that would be needed after the storm uh, to make sure they're in good working order. Um, if you utilize drainage systems, depending on where you are in the citrus growing region, you're going to want to make sure that they're clear of any vegetation. Uh, you know, the weeds are growing like crazy right now um, in this time of year. Uh, so make sure that they are nice and clear. Any sediment that may have settled into those systems, debris, um, you know, so of course we're talking about ditches, canals, furrows, that sort of thing. Maintaining your access roads. So sometimes there may be only a few ways in and out of the grove. We want to make sure that those roads are going to be in the best uh, condition as possible prior to the storm. I know that they can, you know, sustain damage during the storm, but leading up to we want to kind of prevent as much as we can. And then any of your building security. You know, make sure that the breakers and the, the power switches, they're properly labeled in case somebody needs to go in there and make sure that um, the power switches get shut off, that that's all easily accessible, and that those buildings can be locked properly to avoid any kind of theft. When you're getting closer to the storm, um, you know, you're going to want to start pulling stuff inside of buildings if you can, right? So we're talking any pesticide containers, chemical storage. You're going to want to make sure that those things are properly stored and secured so that there is no potential for contamination of the soil, any spills, as well as theft, um, as well as also doing that with any of your heavy equipment that may be able to be stored. Yeah, and tropical storms and hurricanes are, are not unfamiliar to growers in Florida, but those are all very good tips. Let's talk about in preparation um, before the season starts. Uh, there's some things that growers can do um, way ahead of time just to make sure they're ready. Right, sure. So we would think of this as like a long-term preparation, something that you're going to want to do routinely throughout the year, well before hurricane season starts. Um, I think number one is going to be your record keeping. So you're going to want to keep a current inventory of your trees, um, keep an inventory like a updated map, any harvest records and revenue records, uh, definitely your pesticide inventory, any chemicals that you have on hand, your equipment inventory, and then any information on the outlying buildings and barns. And we really want to do this so that when you're dealing with the aftermath of a storm, you're going to have all of that information there that you can easily hand over to your insurance agent, whether that's crop insurance or maybe structural or equipment insurance, as well as having that for future disaster uh, assistive programs. And then you want to have an emergency action plan for your, your farm or your grove. And this is actually an OSHA regulation. Uh, when you have 10 or more employees, this, this emergency action plan needs to be in writing. If you have less than 10 employees, this can be communicated verbally. Um, but what you're going to want to put on here is like the updated emergency contact information, 
any assigned roles that are going to be for these employees, either before, during, and after the storm. That way they can identify what their responsibilities are going to be. And you want to utilize employee training. And this is especially important if you're going to have employees that are maybe going to be helping with uh, recovery and, and dealing with cleaning up in the grove afterward. Make sure that they um, have maybe the proper licenses that they need to, to use any sort of chemicals, proper training, and any kind of equipment that maybe they're not completely familiar with. Uh, that way things can move as, as smoothly as possible after the fact. And then in the grove, again, um, like I said earlier, maintain that drainage system. Really, if you can do that throughout the year, you won't be so hard-pressed to get it done quickly if the storm is approaching. And maybe even think about installing an observation well to monitor the depth to the water table. That way, whenever you are dealing with a flooding situation, you'll be able to monitor how quickly or how not quickly, unfortunately, the, the water table is going down and you can adjust your drainage system appropriately when you're trying to move that water off of the grove. Yeah, stay there in the orchard when you're talking about um, dealing with that post-storm uh, damage, wind and flooding. Uh, drainage, got to be, it has to be one of the big ones, um, and that's why you're saying to prep that ahead of time. Um, but but how can, what do growers need to be doing when they're dealing with this afterwards? So, you, you know, the storm's gone through. Here we are now. We're, we're going to deal with the aftermath. Um, of course, make sure... Everybody, all the employees, yourself, your family, everybody's okay. Check in. Um, and then you can begin kind of that chain of command with your employees. Again, identifying those roles, who's in charge, who needs to do what. Um, and then you're going to start surveying the damage. Now we know that there's flooding in the growth, right? So what do we, what do we want to do first? We're going to assess it and monitor this flooding. Um, of course, we know soil texture is going to play a large role in how the water is going to move through the soil profile and at what rate. So you've got your finely textured soils. Uh, it's going to go slower rather than your coarser textured soils. That water is going to move through faster. Um, the flatwood soils, of course, we have more potential for flooding because the hard pan is going to cause that that water table to be perched because that water that hard pan prevents that water from moving through the soil profile so it has to move laterally once it hits it um, and it will move into the ditches. The main thing to remember here with flooding is that you need to remove the water as soon as possible from the grove within 72 hours. Um, this is because damage can start to occur after four days of being in flooded conditions um, and I'm talking about the roots here. Uh, so root damage um, especially with our hot summer temperatures, we have to keep that in mind. And also, even if there's not standing water, we do have to monitor to see if the soil is saturated because that's, that does cause those anaerobic conditions where there's a lack of oxygen when there's such saturated soil. And after the flood water has receded, this is when you really want to kind of wait and observe these trees before taking action, okay? Um, you can go ahead and any fallen trees that have, have been leaned over, you know, if you can put them upright, do that as soon as possible after that flood water has receded. Young trees, of course, um, I know we have a lot of those individual plant covers, 
you'll want to try to get those back on your trees if you're utilizing those. Now, border trees, they're going to be more likely to be leaned over, of course, because the, the wind's hitting them first. Um, so you may have more of that on your border rows. If needed, if you have a lot of damage to the canopy, you may want to prune the canopy. And what that's going to do is that's going to help restore that root to shoot ratio, especially if these trees have been laid over. They have sustained some damage to their root system. And as we know, our root systems are already heavily compromised due to HLB. Um, so we want to try to restore that root to shoot ratio so that tree can recover. You may see wilting. That's a sign of water damage. That can be observed either during flooding or it can also be after the, the soil has dried out. Some other um, signs of root damage are going to be chlorosis of the leaves, uh, fruit and leaf drop, and canopy dieback. Also something to do would be to examine your soil and your roots. So just kind of get on the ground and take some samples. Um, and you're going to want to smell the soil and the roots. If you smell a sour odor or a rotten egg smell, that's going to be an indication that the roots are dying. What's happening there is there's nitrate reducing bacteria creating nitrites, which are toxic to citrus roots. And there's also sulfur reducing anaerobic bacteria that are in those that's in that soil that is again damaging the roots. And you can also tell when you've got some root damage if the cortex, which is the outer casing of the root, is going to be like a dark brown color, it's going to be soggy and it will slough off of the root. So that's kind of where where we are when we're managing kind of the, the flooding in the grove. So that's kind of immediate short-term damage to roots. I'm, I'm assuming that there's some long-term issues that could develop from that, right? Right. What you're going to want to do is also monitor for phytophthora. And that's going to be either the root rot, foot rot, um, or even brown rot. So for the root rot and foot rot, you're going to want to take some soil samples um, and let the propagule count guide you as to whether or not you need to take action with um, some chemical control. Also brown rot, keep an eye out for that on especially the lower hanging fruit um, that you may need to address that issue as well. You're gonna wanna monitor for canker. If you maybe didn't have a big problem with canker, of course we know wind-driven rain, that's the potential for infection and spread and any wounds that may have happened to the tree due to the wind damage, any wounded leaves, any wounded branches. And then aside from that, I, I imagine there's probably some other physical issues to the operation and land too that, that growers need to look at. That's for the, for the trees, right? We, we would look at some other repairs that may need to be done around the growth, uh, any roads, erosion issues, whether that be on a road or maybe on a bed where there's been some uh, fast-moving water has eroded some areas. Definitely look for any chemical spills that may have occurred, either in something that may have possibly been left out by accident or in your buildings if there's been any structural damage. Uh, look for any equipment damage. And then make sure that the irrigation lines are properly uh, working 
in good working order. If you've had some trees that were laid over, chances are that those irrigation lines and the um, microjets that they are going to be um, pulled up, moved, uh, just so make sure that those are properly placed back where they should be so that the trees are going to be getting the irrigation they need to. Now, when you're trying to get these trees to bounce back, light, frequent irrigation is going to be beneficial. You may even need to do a light fertilizer application, uh, small frequent applications, and that can either be as a soil applied fertilizer or a um, foliar application, and that's just to kind of help these trees kind of bounce back. And the last thing um, I wanted to mention was the food safety concerns when you're dealing with flooding. Um, the FDA in the produce safety rule does have a definition of flood water and how that may or may not affect your fruit depending on where that flood water originated from. Um, so if you have questions about that, you can just contact one of uh, your extension agents and we can definitely get you more information on that. All good information. Again, UF IFAS Multi-County Citrus Extension Agent Asia Paolillo. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Taylor. I really appreciate it, and I wish everybody the best of luck through hurricane season, and um, hope we get through it okay. So what kind of an impact can a storm have on the citrus industry and ultimately Florida's economy. We're now joined by Assistant Professor Krista Court. She's part of the Food and Resource and Economics Department at UFIFIS. Krista, first and foremost, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks, Taylor. Let's talk a little bit about your department for growers who don't quite know what you guys do. Uh, what do you guys do? Sure. So w within Food and Resource Economics, we have agricultural economists, uh, natural resource economists, and I myself, I'm a regional economist. So we do a wide variety of things um, looking at human behavior or decision making related to production economics um, for producers of various agricultural crops. We look at changes in water quality and how um, recreational visitors to Florida might uh, change their behavior if water quality were to decline. Um, it's a, a very broad department. Very good. And and obviously this, this comes into account when you're thinking about natural disasters and storms, hurricanes, uh, tropical storms. Uh, we've heard a lot about how to prep for that and how to recover from that. Um, but but you guys are a key part of this because you do some estimated values. You guys are able to look at economic impacts here, right? Sure. So one of our um, one of my own research and extension programs is focused on disaster impact analysis. The so beginning after Hurricane Irma, when we really found out that there wasn't a lot of um, research or data being collected on how production agriculture was impacted by natural disasters. Um, so we've done a lot of work over the last uh, three and four years to make sure that we are ready to assess those events when they happen um, and looking at not only how a particular crop is impacted, but how a farm and its infrastructure might be impacted by those events. That's a pretty important thing to have uh, developing it over the last three or four years. That would have been something that's nice for these tropical storms and hurricanes that do happen, um, but also those freezes that happened over, uh, what, a decade ago. Um, I, something like that would be huge for those types of events. Absolutely. And one of the things that we've been working on is harmonizing um, how this information is collected across regions or across time, because 
one when you do it differently each time or one state does it differently than another state, then it's hard to compare those to one another to know really what should be done in terms of something like disaster relief um, for producers or um, for the state generally. That's good to know. And let's talk a little bit about how this works. Uh, One of my first questions to you was, so do you take the forecast for that year? And you said that you you guys kind of do an average. Um, Sure. So what we do is we do an average for a baseline or a starting point in terms of how are we going to assess um, a particular disaster. So you really want to know where uh, a particular industry was um, right before the disaster. And over time, agriculture is impacted by a lot of different things, whether it's uh, the weather, trade policy, um, prices going up and down for different supply demand considerations. So we look at uh, an average in terms of um, average prices and average value per acre. And then we have um, recent data or you know current data on what crops are produced where that we then place a, a baseline value of where we started before the storm and then start asking questions about what happened for a particular event. Sounds like a lot of number crunching. There's a lot of number crunching. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some of those trends that we've seen here. I mean, I, I think I can uh, safely say that we do see a little bit of a downward trend, probably a big downward trend because of HLB. Yeah, for, for citrus in Florida especially, we see a downward trend in production um, and a downward trend in yield. But we have been also seeing um, increases in price over time because the supply has declined. So you know, it's, a, it's offsetting a little bit of that revenue change for producers that are still in the industry. Um, but revenue is declining at a at less of steep downward trend than the production. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not a net neutral by any means. That's correct. When when something does go through, um, how fast can you guys get on that? How how quickly can you get some information on the impact that growers are seeing? Yeah, so we try to start collecting information as soon as the event has passed and it's safe um, to get some boots on the ground to assess. Um, you know, visually or to start making some phone calls. The the larger the size and scale of the event, uh, the longer it takes because communication lines are down or roads are flooded and we can't really get in there to see what's gone on. Uh, the other thing with um, something like a citrus grove that slows us down is if it was a heavy precipitation event or if there's some flooding that's going to happen uh, with continued precipitation after the event, then we really need to know you know, how long were these groves underwater to know what has happened to them? So it's easier for us to see fruit has fallen off of a tree because of high winds. It's not as easy for us to visually examine something like um, limb damage that will cause less production at the towards the end of the season or um, root damage that affects um, production in the medium to long term. So let's talk about the impact that the citrus industry has to uh, the state of Florida. When a hurricane does go through, like Irma, um, what kind of a economical impact are we talking about um, as far as on a statewide basis? Sure. So the overall citrus industry, the latest estimates that we have are for the 2019-2020 marketing year. Um, and in terms of sales revenue or what we might term industry output, they contribute um, nearly $7 billion. So it's about $6.7 billion in both um, that directly supported 
citrus industry. So that's the um, producers, uh, the packing houses, and the juice processors and manufacturers. Um, when we look at just uh, grower receipts, uh, they support $1.7 billion um, of economic activity throughout the economy. So when I when I say throughout the economy, not only are they collecting revenues and uh, they're spending that revenue within the state. So they're closely tied to companies or businesses in the state that supply some of the inputs to their production. Maybe it's fertilizer, um, maybe it's labor, post-harvest labor, things like that. There's three effects here. So there's the direct effect is the revenue that the citrus industry is bringing in itself. The indirect effect is the amount of that revenue or the portion of that revenue that stays within the state of Florida is spent on input goods and services. And then there's a third effect um, of the employees of those directly and indirectly supported activities that are spending their money on things for their households, food, entertainment, housing, all of that is is counted in there. Yeah, so you got the you've got the the money they're making, the money they're spending that's staying in the state, and the money that their employees are spending that stays in the state. That's right. So there's a there's the direct effect of that activity, and then there's what we call the multiplier effect, which is all of those expenditures, the the dollars that keep circulating throughout Florida's economy to contribute additional activity. That's a big number. I, I imagine that has a pretty big impact on um, Florida as a whole. Those numbers are pretty big numbers. It does. So it actually supports um, over 32,000 employees, or I should say jobs. So that's full-time and part-time jobs. Um, for a particular season. And many of those are within the citrus industry itself. And many of them are in those indirectly supported industries. So you guys have been doing this for three or four years now. And obviously, you're going to keep doing it to keep this modeling going. But is there anything else you guys are looking at down the road? Anything extra you guys are trying to do? Yeah, so I think when we when Hurricane Irma came through, we were sitting around in the department thinking, you know, how can we contribute to this situation? We should be doing something. What is it that we can be doing? And we did an assessment not thinking that we would have to be doing them um, still three or four years down the road. So I mentioned before um, this harmonization process. So we do a lot on the research side off season, you know, not during hurricane season or when we're expecting something like a freeze event to do some of that number crunching ahead of time so that we can speed up the response to the disaster. So the more of these um, disasters that are experienced or that we can collect information from past events, even prior to when we started assessing them, not only the faster we can do it, the more accurate our numbers are, and the more you know down the road we might not need to have to ask producers every time. We might start to see Here's the the general impact from this type of storm hitting this part of the state with, you know, this weather and soil moisture that we had just before the storm. Ideally, we end up in a situation um, where we can predict uh, the impacts of these disasters even before they happen or as soon as we know um, where it hit and how it hit. Yeah, basically, you're putting kind of... Um disaster quantitative results to the amount of precipitation or the wind speeds of a storm. So if that is recorded and you know that happened, there's likely this type of damage that it, that happened. That's, that's right. And, and I want to say that it's actually harder to do for um, the, the agriculture sector because it's not just that you have a particular type of 
building, let's say, in the path of the storm. It, when you have a crop in the path of the storm, really matters what happened in the several days or even several weeks leading up to that event. If the ground was already wet and then a large precipitation event came through, then you're going to have a field that's flooded for a lot longer than you know, a hurricane that came through just after a long dry spell. Um, so it's, it's, I want to say it's more nuanced or it's a little bit more complex than having to look at, you know, how buildings or how urban areas are impacted by these disasters. And that gives us a lot of, you know, a lot of fodder for research. No, the amount of variables that goes into that type of a situation, yep. uh, I couldn't imagine trying to crunch those. So that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Yep. And, and one other thing that we're trying to do is sort of expand um, the parts of the food system that we're looking at. So the, the COVID-19 impact really showed us that it's not only about how production or how the supply of products is impacted by a disaster. It could be a disaster on the demand side as well. The market for a product disappears right when it's time to harvest. Um, the producer has you know nothing to do but let it sit in the field. All good information and exciting to hear what you guys are doing. Again, the Food and Resource and Economics Department, UF IFAS, Assistant Professor Krista Court. Krista, thank you for your time. Absolutely, Taylor. Thank you. With the NOAA Tropical Storm Report predicting 15 to 20 more storms before we conclude this storm season, we of course hope no grower has to deal with that this year. However, if you do, remember the UF IFAS team is here to help. We'll be back next month with another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.